Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brent McMillan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Glad to have you along with us this week. I'm Brett McMillan. We're talking with Steve Zesch, the Cardinals Director of Publications. He's the man behind Game Day Magazine for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he also had a great view on the 1980s and Whitey Herzog. We're dedicating this episode to Whitey Ball, talking about what it was and how it changed Cardinal history. Because as an organization this year, we are celebrating Whitey Herzog and his quick, fleet-footed teams of the 1980s. Steve worked for the Sporting News for a long time. He's been with the Cardinals now for almost 25 years. And he's well-versed in how Whitey transformed play on the field during the 1980s and brought three NL pennants to the city of St. Louis. A fun, fun conversation between myself and Steve Zesch talking Whitey Ball here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. When you think of Whitey Ball as somebody that lived through it, how would you define that era of baseball play? Well, Whitey Ball, when I picture it, I see rabbits running around the bases, I see the crowd going crazy, and I see an opponent flustered throwing the ball around, and the Cardinals just winging it to another victory in their unique Whitey Ball style. Uh, games now, I mean, we all, we all know that baseball is based more around playing for the three-run homer, even in the National League. So if you had to describe to someone who didn't see a game in the 80s how running around like rabbits really makes the game different, what would you say? Well, it was, uh, I think it was almost like played with, you know, it was Whitey's wisdom that really drove that style. And the parks were, so many of them were, had astroturf, so they had artificial turf, which lent itself to speed and defense. So Whitey, when he came into St. Louis, I mean, he was an architect, he was the GM as well. And so he built that team around his precepts of speed, defense, and a lockdown closer in the bullpen. So, and he also had a lot of switch hitters. So. When Whitey Ball was unleashed on those artificial tracks, you had guys who had hit the ball on the ground, they made contact, you know, the ball would shoot through that infield, and they were often running on the bases. And they were playing, you know, situational baseball where they'd manufacture the runs. Uh, you know, they'd hit the ball the opposite way, they'd, and, and the guys were always taking the extra base. You, you hear that now that, oh, he took the extra base. Well, like it's a, a special thing, and I guess it is in a way, but, you know, that was the norm. If you didn't take the extra base, something went terribly awry, and you were wondering why the guy was stuck on second base and not on third base. The 1970s weren't winning-wise the greatest decade for the Cardinals. Whitey comes over in 80, and then before that 81 season, like you said, he, he becomes the GM and the manager. Why do you think Gussie decided that that was the right move for where the franchise was at that point? Well, Gussie, uh, when he bought the Cardinals back in the 50s and, and took over, you know, he wanted to win, and it took a while to win. And uh, so it was, you know, a good, uh, heck, you know, 10 years and 64 he won, and then 67 and 68. 
Uh, so he got used to winning. And of course, when the Cardinals won, you know, Anheuser-Busch, the name was in the, in the news as well. So they went hand in hand. And then the 70s, we hit that drought. Um, you know, we still had fast players. We still had Lou Brock here. We had the artificial turf. And, uh, you know, we had some other quick outfielders, Rookie of the Year, Bake McBride, uh, Tony Scott, uh, Jerry Mumphrey, guys of that ilk. And they could play uh, a speed game, but, uh, you know, we just didn't have the other elements there. But it was a tough division, too. We came close a couple of times, 73-74, game and a half out, uh, fell short. Uh, but then, you know, Whitey wanted to, or Gussie wanted to win in a bad way. So, um he was getting itchy and he made the move, you know, Whitey was available, uh, you know, still don't know why, you know, the Royals, Ewing Kaufman, you know, let him go. That was one of the worst mistakes they could have made. And uh, we were the benefactors of that. And he was, uh, Whitey was Gussie's kind of a manager, you know, a, a blue collar guy, smart, you know, drinking a beer. And uh, he was, you know, Midwestern roots, Grew up in New Athens. I mean, he was the guy, if, if Gussie had a mold, you know, Whitey was the guy who came out of it. There's a flurry of deals that Whitey made in those winter meetings right after he became the GM. And I, there's a lot of moves you point to and say, well, it's not the same club without that move. But when you look at the era as a whole, was there one signing or trade that Whitey made that really clicked the, the team into the, I guess, the mold that it needed to be to win? Well, I guess it was those initial moves that he, he made after he came over the big winter meetings when, you know, he went crazy and uh, the chips were flying. Um, obviously, we remember, you know, the Bob Sykes-Willie uh, McGee deal, but a, a key piece was when he brought in Lonnie Smith uh, from the Phillies because uh, Lonnie, he wasn't playing very much over there, but he was a speed guy and, and he could get on base and Lonnie in left field, he was a key, very underrated piece of that 82 team. And of course, Suter, um, you know, picking him up, he got the closer and, uh, you know, Whitey, that, that was it. When he had a guy in the back end of the bullpen, um, he felt very confident. So many of the stadiums then, like you said, where it's kind of still the area of the cookie cutter, we're playing on turf, the ball plays fast, but was there anything about Bush too that made it especially unique and especially well suited to have Whitey Ball thrive? Well, it was a, a park that, and many of them were, you know, from that same mold. And um, I guess they had similar dimensions. I guess there are some parks that just play a little bit bigger. And with the, the, the power alleys here, um, you know, the balls just seem to get to the wall. And if the outfielders are running after it, if their backs are to the infield, uh, that's bad news for, for them because uh, our guys are going to be circling the bases. So, you know, balls would tend to you hit it in that gap, and it was a foregone conclusion that it's going to go all the way to the wall and somebody's going to be running after it. Manufactured runs, you mentioned that earlier. Do you have a favorite memory from when you were watching a game and speed completely created a run that otherwise wouldn't have been there? Well, I guess the double uh, double steal up in Chicago in Wrigley Field when you had uh, Willie and, and Vince uh, on base and the, uh, uh, you know, they, they pulled off the double steal. The Cubs were throwing it around and we took two more on it. So we got uh, 
four stolen bags on one play. You know, that's, you know, when a guy's on first, he's taking a big lead. You see it now that, uh, you know, the pitchers, they're, they just get out of their game. They're paying more attention, you know, to the guy on first base and the guy at the plate. And, you know, when that happened constantly, you know, batter after batter, you know, bad things happen for them. And the pitchers, I mean, they were visible. You could see that they were concerned a lot of the time when those guys got on first or, or second because they knew what was coming. Yeah, I mean, everybody in the lineup could run. You know, it was Tommy Hur, you know, he had good speed. And um, it was a team that, uh, you know, over 300 stolen bases. And uh, it, was, it was always going to be coming. You, you knew it was coming at you, and there was just no way around it. You just had to deal with it. It was there always a green light. Was that just kind of a standard in the era? If you're on and, and you think you can steal off this guy, just go. Well, I guess uh, you know I can't speak for Whitey on that, but if a guy wasn't running, you were you probably thought he had an injury that wasn't being reported. Uh, one of my favorite memories from the era, 1982, Glenn Brummer, who was not a speedster, steals home, and there's a great Mike Shannon call. Was that part of Whitey Ball, too, was that even if you're not fleet-footed, you still were going to be aggressive? Oh, absolutely. I, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's come down. We've heard the guys recently from the 67 team talk about how Lou Brock's running gave them confidence to run the bases. And, of course, Glenn Brummer, uh, being a catcher, he knows how disruptive the running game can be. And, you know, seeing his teammates, he saw the damage that, you know, was inflicted. So, you know, he saw an opportunity and he went for it. I mean, I, I think he surprised, obviously, everybody in the ballpark, Whitey included, that, uh, you know, he, was, he attempted to steal. But, uh, hey, you know, it's, it's one of the hallmark moments in franchise history. And as you said, he's a guy who paid attention. He saw when they're not paying attention, if there's an opportunity to be had, you'd go for it. And it came through. St. Louis is known for Whitey Ball, but like you mentioned, I mean, Whitey was having a lot of success in Kansas City, and he'd had other stops, too. Why do you think that he wasn't able to implement something similar there? Was it just because he, he got those GM powers here? Um, well, I think he did. Uh, he had that success in Kansas City, um, you, you know, won three times, uh, but they, the problem there wasn't so much... Uh, you know, any general manager, any owner, it was the New York Yankees. They always ran up against the Yankees, and they couldn't get past them to the World Series. So, uh, again, it, it's just uh, defies logic that uh, the, Mr. Kaufman would have uh, run out of patience with that when they kept going there year after year. They kept winning, and uh, to give up, um, you know, I think Whitey still uh, hasn't figured that one out. What was the energy like in the ballpark in the 80s? Because I've been to plenty of games here now where it certainly it wasn't about running like it was then, but you feel the energy. Was it more so back then than, than it is now? Well, one of the things uh, for me that stands out about Whitey Herzog, I think more than anything else, is that he was the best manager in an era that was kind of the last of its era, and that was when people came to the ballpark as much to see an opposing manager as the star players on that team. Uh, teams got their identity from the manager as well. You know, it was Tommy Lasorda in the Dodgers, Roger Craig in the Giants, Billy Martin in the Yankees, Earl Weaver in the Orioles, Sparky Anderson in the Tigers. You had these Hall of Fame talents, and the clubs were so identified with the managers 
that, that fans, they were drawing cards. Now, I don't hear fans talking about, you know, seeing, you know, Bruce Bochy and the Giants, and uh, Bochy's obviously one of the, the greatest uh, managerial minds in the game, but fans would come out to see those matchups, and Whitey was always three steps ahead of the, other, the guy in the other dugout, and it was especially satisfying uh, when we played the Mets uh, because he'd make Davey Johnson look like a manager in training. Davey would pull off something he thought was going to catch Whitey on his heels, and uh, a move or two later, uh, Whitey had him, and the, the guys in the dugout knew it. They had that added confidence that Whitey Herzog was always going to have the Cardinals two or three steps ahead of the other team. And it's, it's an era that's passed us by, but... Um, it, it was a great era, and, and we were fortunate that we had the best guy in the dugout in Whitey Herzog. Do you think the relationship between any other city and Whitey with Whitey Ball would have been the same maybe as here? Because people do have that kind of hardworking nature, and like you said, he was a guy that liked to drink Budweiser's and was very much a Midwesterner. Did that maybe fuel the fire, so to speak? Well, I think the tradition of Cardinals baseball, he happened to be a practitioner of that tradition and that you know, obviously in the 30s, uh, the, the 40s, the, the Cardinals, those teams were built around speed, too, and pitching and defense, uh, that Cardinal way. And it just so happened that, you know, Whitey, that was the game he played, too. So when he brought it back to the hilt here in St. Louis, uh, he was in the right place at the right time. And Whitey talks about, you know, he'd go, he'd be pumping gas at the gas station. Uh, people that love coming up and uh, talking baseball with them. He wasn't above that. He enjoyed it as much as they did. And uh, I sat in the crowd a lot, uh, too, at the, when Whitey was here, was working at the Sporting News. And, uh, but I liked sitting in the crowd, too, uh, shared seats with friends. And you never heard anybody in the crowd say anything untoward, negative about Whitey. Um, didn't hear it around town. And most important, you didn't hear it uh, from his players either. And uh, when second-guessing a manager is really sport, that's an amazing thing that nobody ever said anything about Whitey Herzog. That's it for the podcast this week. If you want to check out our television show, as always, check it out on cardinals.com slash video, the MLB app bat app. Go to the video section and search Cardinals Insider, or you can get local listings for your TV affiliate that carries Cards Insider by going to cardinals.com slash insider. For Steve Zesh, I'm Brett McMillan. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week on the Cardinals Insider Podcast.